perfect. Um, yeah, so the, the book bundle that Wilson just mentioned, thank you. Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, if you've been with us, we've gone through a few chapters together already as a church. And uh, during the sermons, we've kind of just been giving you an intro of the chapter to come. But more than just what we've talk, been talking about, the chapters of the book, we've been going through this devotional, um, emotion, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, day by day. And um, this is, our hope is that this might be the richest part of your experience through this book. And um, in the daily devotions of this book, there's two opportunities to connect with the devotion daily. Um, there's an invitation for silence and solitude in that. And, um, you know, we've even practiced that a little bit in our church together um, to just quiet not just the room, but to quiet our minds and hearts and um, just to be still for a moment before we engage with scripture. And so some of you guys might have been practicing that already, and, um, and some of you may not have. But I would love for you to just chat for a couple minutes with the people around you and share your experience. So as I say that, I know a couple things might come up. One, you might be like, I, I have not been doing that, and so I have no experience to share. Uh, that's okay. Or you may be like, what book? This is my first week here, and I have no idea what you're talking about. That's okay, too. So when I, I would just, in general, or your specific experience with this, would like you to talk about the practice of silence and solitude. So when I say that, it's more than like, oh, the music's off and I'm by myself. Like that silence and solitude. But the kind of silence and solitude that really quiets your mind and your heart and your body and allows you to be really present before God. And so can you turn to a couple people around you? You can either share your experience or maybe share like why you haven't experienced that before, maybe what a couple barriers are for you. So two to three people around you, get to know them and share about your experience here, and then we'll, we'll come back together. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, we'll start to wrap up. <laughs> okay, so let's come on back together. So show of hands, like a for real show of hands. Um, how many of you guys shared either in practice or in theory that this is something hard to do? like something hard. Yeah. I, I kind of figured that that would be the thing that comes up, that for some reason, being truly silent and still in, in an intentional way, not just by mistake, is really hard. Um, and it's hard in practice. And, um, and I knew that. And I was thinking about it this week. I read a research article, and maybe you guys have read something similar to this before. It was a study performed on the human attention span. Um, and so I'm sure you guys have, have read things like this before. So this was a study that was performed in the year 2000, and then it was repeated again in the year 2015, where they were um, studying how long the human attention span is. So in the year 2000, the study results were that the human attention span was 12 seconds long. <laughs> so 12 seconds, so that means 12 seconds to be able to focus on one thing without distraction or without jumping to another um, before coming back to that thing. So 12 seconds. So they repeat the study again 15 years later in 2015, and the results show that the human attention span was now eight seconds. 
Okay, it's 2020, I don't even wanna know like what we're at now. Um, also notable was that the goldfish attention span was nine seconds. I know, I mean, I feel like I might be better off with a room full of goldfish, right? Like you guys have already all tuned out and we're just done. Um, but I mean, we know this, we experienced this, and interestingly, that article that I read was written to marketers. So this is an article for people that wanted to market their product um, or their message, and it's, it was asking the question, like, how do you market to a people that have eight-second attention span? And so we are the result of this, right? So whenever someone's trying to get a message to us or sell us a product, um, it has to be quick, and it has to promise instant results. Instant change, right? Like we are bombarded with these kind of messages all the time. So we have a lot of college students here or recently college student. What is like the most popular food item among college students? What do you think? Coffee, <laughs> ramen, instant ramen. So like instant noodles I think is uh, actually when Wilson, when we were launching a ministry at Cal State Fullerton, he gave away instant ramen. It was like, come get a survey done and we'll give you your sustenance for the next week. Um, and, you know, I fell prey to this. The most, one of the most popular kitchen appliances in the last couple years has been instant pot. Instant pot. Yes. So like diet fads promise instant weight loss, um, investment opportunities, instant wealth. I mean, you name it. We, we want things and results from things that take a lot of time and a lot of hard work, but we want the life hack version. We want it right now, right? This is just, this is kind of the human eight second attention span condition. And the thing is, is that we take this into our faith where we want instant results in our faith, our growth, and our maturity. You know, we can see, um, and we can long for what uh, wisdom and maturity might look like, and we would truly desire that. Or maybe leadership opportunities. We really we want that, or we want to become, um, have more depth of knowledge and understanding. We want to have a lot of growth. We want to mature in a relationship with God. But we would like it to be easy and be now. And that's typically not the way our faith story works. And we know that, because we know with things like instant ramen or the diet fads that promise instant results, that in order to get the result of right now, something artificial needs to be inserted in there, right? The good, authentic stuff usually takes time and is usually difficult. And that's the reality of what our faith journey is, is it's often slow and it's often hard. And, um, and we get pictures of this throughout scripture, thankfully. Um, I have a few examples listed up here. Um, if we were to just look at a few different stories of people throughout Scripture, what's nice is what's laid before us is not just one little story, but often when we look at the Bible in its entirety, we get to walk through people's journey um, for days or years or decades and see how God was leading them and how they were growing and changing. And you may have heard before the Christian life referred to as a journey. And maybe sometimes that sounds cheesy, but it's really an appropriate um, connection, I think. You know, and just like a journey, our Christian life can have, you know, starts and stops and 
It can have um, some detours and some unexpected collisions or speed bumps. And um, just like on a journey, our, our Christian life can take us to places that we always wanted to go. Um, it could take longer to get there than we imagined, or it might take us to places that we really never wanted to be. And so let's, let's look through a few of these journeys and see what they look like. So, so with, um, with Abraham, when, if we jump in in Genesis 12 and we start our, uh, we take up on his journey in Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. He's married to Sarah and they, um, they have no children. They're infertile. And at that point, when we step into his journey, um, God has revealed himself to him and he said, I choose you and I want to build a whole nation through you. He's got no kids, right? And he's like, and God is saying, I'm going to build a whole nation through you. So God's promising him a child and a nation through that child. And so then how does, how does the rest of that journey and story go? Like Abraham just believes him and then you know, nine months later, his wife is pregnant, and then this nation just unfolds picture perfect, and there's no problems and no doubts along the way. Is that how it goes? What about, what about with the Israelites? So we, um, we enter into their journey. This is the nation that was promised and was birthed from Abraham's line. Let's enter into their story when they're enslaved in Egypt. And, and this is brutal and cruel conditions. And through God's mighty hand, like, miracle after miracle, undeniably God's movement, he frees them. They walk out of Egypt. And then how does it go? Like they are worshiping. They never doubt him again. They never turn to any other God. And you know, it just takes a few months and then they journey into their promised land that he led them to. So how it goes? Okay, what about, what about the disciples, Jesus' 12 disciples, where um, there's these men that, that Jesus calls and this great teacher, and he says, come follow me. They drop everything and follow him. And, and you know, they never doubt his, his strange and hard teachings, and, and they no, never wonder why he's doing it the way he's doing. And, uh, you know, even when he goes to the cross, they never waver. No denial, no betrayal, all 12, all the way to the end. Is that how it goes? No, if you, if you know or if you're familiar with these stories, you know that Abraham uh, waited a little while until he took matters into his own hands and impregnated his wife's servant, and that didn't end well. It wasn't until he was 100 years old that he saw the promised son through his wife, Sarah. With the Israelites, they were out of Egypt for like a minute before they were uh, <laughs> doubting God and kind of like, can we go be slaves again? This is hard, Okay. And then, you know, we, the, with the 12 disciples, always questioning, always confused, always doubting Jesus. And by the time we get to the cross, we see that Judas has totally given up and betrayed him and that Peter has denied him. And so what has happened here? We see long enough in their journey that each of these people have hit a wall in their faith and in their journey with God. They, they meet a place in their journey where it's like, this is not how I thought it would be. This is not what God's promise felt like it was supposed to be. What is going on here? What is he doing? And you know, we, you know, we see different pictures of the way people encounter that wall. Maybe they bounce up against the same wall over and over again, not really learning, not really knowing or trusting Maybe they just give up altogether. You know, we all hit a wall in our faith. 
how we respond to it and how we get through it can be different. You know, as I was reading this chapter, I was remembering um, the end of my college years. I was involved in a campus ministry in college, and that's when I first gave my life to Jesus and started following him. And um, it was this tradition that every senior class had a night where they would celebrate together at the end of their senior year. And so we had just had our last worship night weekly meeting of the year, and all the seniors were together, and we had this nice dessert and banquet, and it was really special. We had a couple different seniors stand up front and share about their experience in college, maybe imparting wisdom to the younger students. You know, when it was just the seniors together, we were sharing stories and memories with each other about all that we had seen God do in our lives and in, in the people around us. And um, yeah, we worshiped and prayed and celebrated. And the, at the end of the night, um, our ministry director stood up front. His name was Jamie. And, you know, he, he looked at all of us and he said, hey, guys, like, take a look around at the people around you. You know, so we're all looking at each other, just smiling. He said, the sad thing is, is that some of you, one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, will not be walking with the Lord anymore. And I remember thinking, like, were you here tonight? Like, did you not see, like, all the passion and how excited all of us are in our relationship and our journey with God? Um, but the thing is, is that he knew something that I didn't that at some point in every faith journey, we would hit a wall. And for a lot of us, we were young enough in our journey where we had not really hit that yet. And that he knew as everyone hits a wall that people respond differently. Some quit altogether. Some journey through and really taste the richness on the other side. Some continue to learn the same thing over and over again. And, and I can tell you, I have faces in my mind from that time that, that no longer care to walk with God. Many of you have, have memories of that also. But the wall is a necessary part of the journey. And the chapter that we're talking about um, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality right now is, um, let's see, we're going, oh, I'm holding it backwards. Nope, nope, nope. Forward. How did you know? Okay, I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have you guys do it. Okay, so um, in in the book, this chapter is called "Journeying Through the Wall," and um, he has a chart in that book that's really helpful that kind of lays out often what stages of development or growth in our faith might look like. And so at the beginning, you can start at like the top here. You see the stage one is the life-changing awareness of God. Um, for me, my freshman year of college, this is when everything kind of reorients. Um, you have a new worldview. You've really surrendered your life to Jesus maybe for the first time. Maybe the truth of God's forgiveness is hitting your life for the first time. This is life-changing awareness of God, which really leads to stage two, discipleship or learning. So this is a stage in your faith um, that hopefully is true throughout all of your growth and development, where you're learning and growing. And it's maybe you're a part of a Bible study. Sometimes this stage feels like I can't get enough. Like I can't listen to enough sermons on podcasts, and I can't get to enough worship and prayer nights, and, um, and I'm just learning and growing and changing so much. 
And that often leads to stage three, the active life or serving. You know, we talk about that a lot at Renew. We want to invite people into an active life of serving each other. Like we're a family. We're the body of Christ. We want to serve each other and use our gifts for each other um, and, and for the church and for the world around us. And so we, we encourage people here to, to not just be a recipient, but to contribute um, to not just learn and grow, but to teach and to minister to others. Um, and then in that place of serving, that often takes the journey back inward, which takes the journey outward again, transformed to love that we can explore more in later chapters. Um, but you see between stage three and stage four, this, this journey inward, a lot of that looks like, if you were here last week, uh, Wilson talked about the chapter that was called Going Back to Go Forward. A lot of times we're in the perpetual serving place. We can kind of lose sight of um, what God's doing internally. We kind of become these ministry machines. Maybe it can lead to burnout or maybe just to performance and a little bit of hypocrisy without this journey inward of understanding who I am. What's, my, what's the story of my history of, of my parents, my childhood, generations back? what's really affecting me and how I'm living out my relationship with God. And so somewhere between stage three and stage four here is the wall. And sometimes the wall is what leads us into the journey inward, and sometimes part of the journey inward is what takes us to the wall. And so Speeds Cazero, the author, actually defines for us what the wall is. If you'll go to the next slide, he defines it like this. He says, at the wall... We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. I feel like that's such a good description. Um, and, you know, as I read that, it... Another passage came to mind that I feel like illuminates this a little bit. Um, if you go to the next slide, this is Romans 11. It echoes the same questions of, you know, where is God? What is he doing? Where is he going? How am I getting there? How long is it going to take? This is what the author of Romans says. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This is kind of the truth that we often come to at the wall when, uh, when our way and God's way seem to be parting. Where it's like, what is going on here? Like God and I have been cruising along really well and now I have no idea what he's doing. This isn't working anymore. He goes on, and I love just the hint of sarcasm here. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Any of you guys? No? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Yeah, does God owe you? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So yeah, this picture of God, what are you doing? Where the mystery of God and the bigness of God is um, maybe doesn't feel like it's inducing worship in us, but rather um, confusion and frustration. And, you know, we use that term a lot, like I've hit a wall. It's just like, I don't, I, I don't know how to get to the other side of this. 
And for you, this, uh, this might have come in your life through disappointment, um, maybe through disease or a diagnosis or um, a rejection or um, betrayal. Or, um, you know, oftentimes we meet our wall just through an unfulfilled longing. Like, I thought by now I would be over this. I thought by now I'd be married. I'd have a kid. I thought by now I would have that dream job or house or, you know, you name it. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's what your wall looks like. And often when we come to that wall, when we come to that sort of mystery and the frustration it can produce, the wall often strips us of things that we've clung to outside of God himself. So it, it strips us of our idols and our lesser loves. And the tricky thing about this is often the positive feelings and the positive experiences that we once associated as connected and because of our relationship with God, like the things that are like hashtag blessed, you know, that we call blessings. And it's like I, um, you know, my health, my family, my friendships, my community, my awesome job, I'm so blessed, those kind of things. When our blessings are so entangled in who God is and when we hit a wall and we're stripped and we realize like what am I longing for here do I just want do I just want that back or am I really left with this exposed longing for God so a wall really strips us of um of our lesser loves not not comfortable um you know, I think one of my walls that I hit was a couple of um, falls ago. And before I share that story, I do want to share this. Um, you know, I'm older probably than, than a good handful of you, but I do realize that when I look at my life, I'm probably pretty young in experience of a lot of suffering and trauma. And so I don't want to make light of what many of you are have experienced or are experiencing that has brought you to a wall. Um, what I don't, what I'm not saying at all, and what this book is not saying at all, and what God is not saying at all, is like, buckle up. You know, like, just work hard and get through this and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just need to try harder. Um, that's definitely not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just stamping a smiley face on it. But I feel like I hit this place a couple years ago in the fall, and it was just sort of like a perfect storm of a few different things going on in my life. Um, one was um, our little guy was young and still kind of new to us through adoption and um, just really strong-willed, and um, I was just struggling a lot as a mom and feeling insecure in like our attachment, especially since he was adopted. And so there was that piece going on, and there was this other piece where we had um, recently switched jobs. We had transferred to a different ministry, and so I was just in a new place where I didn't really have a place that I felt like I belonged. I didn't really feel like people knew me. I lacked a feeling of purpose, like, does anybody care? Like, what am I here for? Um, and at the same time, I just felt like, you ever have those seasons where you look around you, and everything just feels 
broken and heavy. And I just felt like every relationship, there was just suffering. And I did, everywhere I looked, it was like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, um, and I just felt sad a lot of the time. And to that point, um, and there are a few other times in between, I feel like most people characterize me often when they get to know me as joyful, and um, which is awesome. And it's one of those things that I like really tied to my relationship with God. Like I experience God through joy. I experience joy because of my relationship with God, which sounds right, but it really was um, hard for me to experience brokenness and sadness and still experience God and still see where he was in that. So it landed me um, in, in counseling in that season. And, um, and there are a lot of really helpful things that my counselor walked with me through. And I can't share all of them. And it's none of your business. Um, but I remember one of the things that she shared with me that was really helpful is she said, Kristen, you really want to impact people and influence people how can you really engage with a broken and dying world, with broken and dying people, if you don't allow yourself to experience the sadness and the weight of that? Um, you know, because she had asked me to enter into some of that sadness and talk it out with her. And I think when she'd asked me to do that, I would say, like, I think that's stupid, or I don't want to do that, because I was emotionally really mature. And so, um, but through that, I, I have been tasting what's on the other side of that wall a little bit. The journey through meant that I was looking for Jesus and encountering God in new ways through brokenness and sadness. And, um, and in some ways, having to let go of like journeying through life up here, like cha la 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 la, I just wanna ignore the hard things underneath. And so there was a richness in journeying to the other side. And I say the other side knowing that um, it's probably a wall that I'll have to revisit um, at other points in my life, knowing that God is continuing to strip me of the idol of um, happiness and comfort sometimes. And so it kind of sounds like a downer as I say this, but it's really important that we talk about the wall and some of these harder things. And um, something that Pete Scazzaro mentions in his book, um, I think it might be the next slide. We'll see. Yes. He says, um, a failure to understand this, like this concept of the wall, is one of the major reasons many start out well in their journeys, but don't finish. And so this is why it's really important to understand all of us are going to be brought to a wall in our life. It's part of our growth. And we don't want to be a church full of um, starters, only young passion. But we want to be a church of, of finishers, right? We want to be a church of depth, where roots have gone in deep, where we've journeyed through together some hard things to the other side. I don't have a slide for this, but um, the Apostle Paul in his letter, this is the second letter that we have to the Corinthians, I feel like captures this picture really well of why we need to talk about this wall that we hit in our faith um, and why he did, why he let his young churches know about this. He's, this is 2 Corinthians 1.8, if anybody's writing stuff down. Uh, Paul says, 
we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt we received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And so he's talking about just all the troubles that they went through, even to come back to, to, um, to being able to preach to this church. And that the way he started that, like, I don't want you to be uninformed about all the trouble I experienced, the point where I felt like I was sentenced to death. It was important to him to say, like, you, sh you should know that this is part of the journey. And, um, and so, and so that's, that's really why we want to do this book, is to, to strip, maybe step back a little bit and um, to look honestly at each other and to be like, this is going to be hard. And, um, and this is going to be a lot slower than we want. Um, but the thing about the wall, too, is it's not just about God stripping stuff away from us. He has so many gifts to give us in the process of enduring through the wall and what we see on the other side. You don't have to go there now, but on that same graph where it kind of talked about the stages, after the journey inward, there's another journey back outward, and it says transformed into love. So again, you find, your places, you find yourself in a place of receiving and learning and growing, but now it's, a, it's from a place of greater richness and depth, a place of being stripped of instant gratification so that we can wait and see God do what he's doing in his timing when, we don't, when we're not like, what are you doing and how long is this going to take? And, and as I kind of wrap up, I want to talk about just one wall that I think is really common that we, um, maybe those of us that have been uh, Christians for a little while, maybe we've all hit at one time or another, or you probably will hit if you haven't yet. And um, we're calling that wall the doldrums. And so um, actually when I was talking to children's ministry and I said doldrums, um, nobody had heard that word before. Has anybody heard Anybody heard the word doldrums? Okay, a few people, mostly over 35. Um, and so um, that when I say doldrums, the way we use it, some of us, the way we use it in um, like everyday speech would, would mean like inactive or listless or I'm stuck or I'm in a slump. Like those are the doldrums. Um, but it's actually derived from a nautical term. You can go to the next slide. Um, and do I have any um, experienced sailors in the room? No, fabulous. So you can just believe everything I tell you about sailing. Um, so the doldrums really are um, a region at sea close to the equator where the winds almost completely die down. So the boat, the sailor gets stuck. But seasoned sailors know to expect the doldrums. They know that when they come to this region of the water, that the winds will die down, and for a time, they will be stuck. And just like that, mature and seasoned Christians should know to expect the doldrums in our spiritual lives as well. And so, like I said, it's, it's really like a slump. It's feeling stuck. It's... Um, 
it's all the things about Christianity that you've experienced so far feeling like they're just not working anymore. You know, have you guys had seasons in your relationship with God where everything is working, where you really are feeling it, where, um, you know, you're, you're in a worship setting and the band's up front and the words are on the slide and, and you are stirred emotionally, like you really sense God's presence and you are filled with awe or maybe joy, um, maybe really humbled, or maybe it's times when you open your Bible and you're reading and you really feel like you are connecting with God and I, I'm understanding and I, I feel God talking to me. Or maybe it's when you pray and you're seeing God answer prayers in so many ways and, and things just feel like they are, are working and you are feeling it. So the doldrums are when it's like, I'm just not feeling it right now. All the things that you used to do to connect with God and to get kind of that emotional response um, are not working anymore. They're producing nothing. It might look like the times when you come into a worship space like this and the worship band's up front and the words are on the screen and you're like, I'm not really feeling that right now. Or you like take your Bible and you plop it open and you're like, I don't even know what to do with this right now. Or you're like, why even pray? It doesn't even make a difference. It's just I'm not feeling it right now. And what I'm telling you is that seasoned Christians should know to expect this season in our journey with God. And so what do we do when we hit the wall or what do we do when we hit the doldrums? And I'm going to offer a few different thoughts um, as we look at maybe a few different ways the sailor could respond to the doldrums. So think about a sailor who, upon hitting the doldrums and feeling stuck, is like, I guess that's it. I'm just going to take my sail down, and I'm done. It's just like, I quit. Maybe he's overboard. I don't know. <laughs> like, so that's one option, you know, when you hit the doldrums, Christian. Like, well, this isn't working anymore. I guess I'm done. Like, I quit. And maybe we've had experiences like that, or we've seen people close to us do that. Maybe another option for the sailor, maybe the sailor gets stuck in the doldrums and they're like, uh-uh, I'm having none of this. And that sailor stands up in his boat, the sail is up, and with all of his might, he just blows into the sails. Like, I will produce the wind I need to get this boat moving to where we need to go. Wind, I don't need you, I've got this. And he just huffs and puffs and blows into those sails. Like, that sounds silly to us, right? But as a Christian, what does that option look like? I'm stuck. Well, that is not an option. I will like pull myself up and I'm gonna work harder and I'm, maybe I'm just gonna fake it. I'm gonna produce some wind to make it look like I'm still growing or I'm just gonna throw myself into more and more and more ministry and more Bible study. But really, that sailor, that Christian, usually ends up with the one overboard. Like, I quit. It just, you cannot sustain that sort of life. So what about, what about the mature or seasoned sailor when they hit the doldrums? That sailor, picture that sailor hour by hour, day by day, maybe week by week, month by month, in this slump, in the doldrums, just faithfully raising the sail and waiting for the wind knowing the wind will come 
and the doldrums come, I need to expect this. I'm going to continue to raise my sail because I don't know about this mysterious wind. And I don't know when it's going to come. And I don't know how long I have to wait. But I will continue to raise the sail. So Christian, that sail for us, I think, is continuing to come into this place. And, and I know that, that probably some of you came in this morning with a, I'm not feeling it. But I'm so glad that you raised the sail and you showed up anyway. It might be standing up and looking at those words on the worship screen and not feeling it, but saying, I'm going to raise my sail. I'm going to show up. You know, it might mean through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book or maybe by other means choosing to stop each day and open your Bible and you kind of don't know if you're going to get anything out of it, but I'm, I'm raising my sail. Maybe the wind will come. And we do that. We continue to raise our sail because we do follow a very mysterious but radical God that we can trust and that we can wait on because the wind will come and that he will help us journey through to the other side that can be really rich. So imagine this seasoned sailor enjoys sailing, continues to go out on these awesome destinations. They know to expect the doldrums, that it's, it's part, part of the destination. It's part of the journey. And like us too, we will, on the other side, we have produced in us, God has produced in us this greater ability to wait on him so that when walls come, we can say, I expected this. I know you're going to move in me again, and I will continue to show up. And so I wanted to give us the opportunity for a couple minutes as we wrap up. We've done this a little bit for the last few weeks, but to have a little bit of silence and solitude, even in this room, to reflect on a couple different psalms together. So if you go to the next slide, I put up two um, different psalms here. Um, the first one is Psalm 62. I'll read each of them for you. First one says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. The one right below it is Psalm 130. He says here, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And when I originally read Psalm 130, um, I was thinking that last little phrase, you know, more than a sailor waits in the doldrums, more than a sailor waits in the doldrums. So I'd love to give us some space just right now, whether or not you're feeling it, to just quiet your mind and heart and, and to try and tune yourself um, into this place, just to sit before God and, um, and wait on him and invite him to be a wind um, that will carry you through the wall into some sweet places that he wants to take you. So I'm going to pray for us. And then um, worship team, if you want to um, come up after just another minute or two of silence, that'd be great. Um, God, I'm, I'm really grateful that you know, um, you know at what place we are in our journey, in our relationship with you. Um, yeah, you you know that better than us. And um, yeah, God, I I know that there's people in this room that um, maybe have not yet decided if they even want to say yes to a journey with you. 
um, people that so excitedly and enthusiastically said yes to this journey, but years ago, and they can barely remember that sort of excitement. Um, yeah, we're, I know we're all over the place, and um, God, we do just long for you um, to show up in, in a fresh way, like a, a mighty wind that can carry us past some of the places we really feel stuck. Um, but also, God, we understand that you have important work to do in, in our lives and in our hearts as we often are clamoring for lesser things that we think that can satisfy us. So would you strip us, God, of the things that are idols that we're clinging to that aren't ultimately you um, and allow us to see and cling to you um, above all else. We love you and praise your name. Amen.